when there, I have a class exercise today so you can make more than one comment, but all comments have got to be short, like three or four words or less if you get to make more than one. So just, just to, to put, that one, uh, put that one there and uh, so that we can look at that. We've been talking about authority. Um, we've been through a lot of lessons, and I hope those of you who've been in the class, if you've missed a class here or there, I would highly, highly encourage you to go back and look at, um, at the videos from class, and, and Sean's teaching has been excellent on this. And there's a lot of foundational things that we've gone over. And I actually like to talk about the lesson that we're in today as things that are built upon that foundation. We're, in, in many ways, we're going to finish out this class with some practical applications of ways that we establish authority. And the lesson we're going to do today and on Wednesday are some of the ways that I believe churches have gotten their authority for how they do things wrong. So we're going to look at where, how would you apply the scriptures in order to make sure that a church in doing its work gets its authority for what and how it's doing its work correctly from the scriptures. And I won't pretend to believe that, I, that I've got this 100% correct, but I think we can, in applying the fundamental principles that we've been through, that we can learn how to think through these issues so that when we are joined to a church, this church, or if we move somewhere else, another church, we can actually ask, are they doing things the way that I see them done in the Bible? And that's really the whole, the whole goal here. Sean had a great lesson on Wednesday night. He had a lot packed in that 30 minutes about the universal and the local church. And so I'm not going to review his lesson. I'll send you to the website to look at it if you haven't seen it. But we did talk about how that there are different scopes for the universal church and the local church. Why is that important to understand? Well, it's because there are some things talked about the church which is talking about the universal church. And we talked about some things about that universal church. It's the church of all the saved for all time. When does that church meet? All the saved for all time. We will meet in the judgment day. We'll get to be together. And so if there's something said about that church, we have to ask now, is that, is that said about our local church here at Monta Vista? Or is that said about something else? And so make sure that we understand the context of what we're reading in, in the scriptures. And so we talked about a lot of those things, and then we transitioned to Sean's finishing slide, which is the work of the local church. Now, we actually could have an entire quarter, maybe two, on the work of the local church. It's a big subject here, but we talked about some of the things that we know from reading the scriptures are in the local church, that we work on unity and oneness together as a local church, that we worship together, we pool resources, whether that's our treasury or our talents to get things done. We appoint qualified leaders. We hold one another accountable so that if somebody is slipping, somebody's around to say, hey, Greg, you need to get back on the path. We edify and build each other up like we've done this morning and we maintain fellowship with Christ. Wonderful things here that we, that we know the Bible talks about and there's more that we could put on this list. So the question I'm going to ask you today as we transition to today's lesson is does it matter how we do things that we know we should do? Is the how part also important with the what? Is that true about serving God? Has the how ever been connected with the what? It is, and that's what we're going to talk about today. When churches go about their local work, how they do things, not surprisingly, the Scripture addresses in addition to what they're doing. And that's where we see a lot of confusion amongst churches of Christ and in the denominational world that sometimes you can be working on the right what, but 
but the, you ignore what the how is. And we're going to look at, is there authority for the how is what we, we talk about this here today. So, as we, uh, we transition here to our lesson about independent and autonomous churches, uh, we're going to stop and take, uh, take uh, stock of how we do the work as this church here and how other work churches should do their work. And that's what uh, we're going to look at today and on uh, Wednesday night. So, before we go any further, if you would join me, let's say a prayer. Father in heaven, we're thankful to you for the scripture. We're thankful, Father, that we're not wondering about in the dark, wondering about how we should do things or what we should do in order to be pleasing to you. Help us, Father, to always value your word, to go to your word for the authority for the things that we do. Help us, Father, neither to bind things that have not been bound by you upon us, and help us, Father, not to loosen things that you haven't loosened, but help us, Father, to, try, to strive to do your things in your way in all that we do. We ask your blessings upon this class today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Okay, so lesson title, Independent and Autonomous Churches. Name one thing that's true about those two words that you can see. They each have four syllables. What's that mean, a four-syllable word? Anybody learned? Well, I like using four-syllable words is tough. So before we go any further, what in the world do those words mean? I mean, I actually did my uh, a search upon the, uh, the scriptures, and I find the word independent in the scriptures one time in multiple versions, and I don't find the word autonomous at all in the scriptures. So let's, I want to just start off where before we go any further, and I'm not going to do like Sean. I'm going to make you look at my scribbling writing. I'm going to type your answers here. So this is the point where you can shout out calmly. Quick definitions. What does the word independent mean? Let's start on that. You, you shout something out and I'll talk about it. I'm going to start up here on the front to make sure I can see you closer. So what does independent mean when you hear independent? On your own. Okay? If I mistype something, keep going. You keep asking. Keep saying another one. I'm not the best of typists. Self-governing. Self Hold on, we can't, we can't define one word with the other. Uh-oh, spell checking didn't get me. Keep going. Thank you. Not listening to God is independent? Yep. Okay. Keep going. What does autonomous mean? Let's broaden it out here. Autonomous. What else? We're going to study two times on that independent autonomous. What are we talking about? Free. Hello? Okay, that might be connected. What else? Free? Free. Self-directed? You can keep talking. I'm just typing here. You're just seeing how bad I type. Okay, so if you picked your dictionary up, and those of you who have Google, you probably could find this really, really quick. Concepts you got here are, are certainly part of the concepts that are there. Uh, another concept that shows up right in Merriam-Webster's second thing is not affiliated with a larger controlling unit. Okay? 
not affiliated with a larger controlling unit, is independent, not relying on others, desire for freedom, not dependent on others, freedom to govern or control oneself, having the right to power or power of self-government, undertaking or carrying on without outside control, being self-contained. So you've you got some of those pieces here. So we're going to actually unpack these two words as it relates to church and what does it mean to be independent. Now what might you guess that we are never independent from or autonomous from as children of God? God. God. We're talking about deriving authority from God in order to do things. And so we're not talking about absolute independence, so we're going to be talking about independence from others. And what others might be a particular we're going to talk about if you've done your lesson. Independent from other churches. And how do we work together as this church, and how are we independent from other churches? And are there circumstances where we do work together with other churches in a way that's scripturally uh, directed here? So I'm going to start off and give you a quick little story here, and um, just to illustrate what goes on in the religious world. Um, fellow Christian and I were working with a lawyer in Beaufort, South Carolina to try to get our paperwork for the church there up to date. Um, church had been in existence a lot of years and they'd lost all their paperwork that showed that they were a nonprofit and they needed some of that. So we're working with a local lawyer who was helping us with that. And we sat down and we were explaining to him how well, as the Buford Church of Christ, we're an independent church. We're not affiliated with a larger unit. There's not a Church of Christ denominational headquarters. We're independent, so you know we can do this. And he goes, oh, I get that. He goes, I absolutely get that. He goes, I'm, a, I'm on the board of deacons for the Episcopal Church. Now, board of deacons there means elders here. That's how they would call about it. And he said, and we recently seceded from the Episcopal Diocese. Okay, now we're in South Carolina, so succeeding is a thing that South Carolinas do, right, over time. <laughs> we seceded. Why did you secede? His point was, we're an independent church, too. We just became independent because we had to secede. So, well, headquarters said that we had to accept openly gay and practicing gay ministers. And we had to, if we got assigned one, we had to accept them, and we couldn't condemn, condemn that at all. And he said, we've opened our Bibles, and that's not what we find in our Bibles, and so we, we couldn't be a part of this and accept that, so we seceded, and we're an independent church too. Um, Okay, so when I tell you that story, is anything wrong with how that overall works? Yeah, they, the way they were set up in the first place, there was somebody telling them what they should do. Now, everybody has authority for doing something, but they realized our authorizing body just went off the rails. We got to succeed. I introduced that story because, and I particularly want the young people up front to, to hear some things about how the religious world works because they're going to hear that in their friends at school and, 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 and working out here as to how things work. What are some words that people who are in churches, and I'm going to use that term very loosely today, but people who are religious people, what are some structures that are in place that are commonly talked about in churches that you know about. Lance? Can you say satellite churches? OK, 
Okay, so people will start a satellite church in doing that. Tony, papacy. So the, the papacy, and, and who reports to the Pope if you know anything about the Catholic Church? The cardinals, and who reports to the cardinals? The bishops, and then who reports to the bishops? The priests to do that. So there's a hierarchy there, right, of, of, of looking at that. And, they, and there's some words that go with that, like what's a region called in the, in the Catholic Church? A diocese. I think that's right, but might not be. So, so, okay, so we're not here to bash other denominations, but I, I just want you to illustrate that almost anybody you talk about or talk to who is a religious person who doesn't carry the name Church of Christ, they're going to work in some organization. Have you ever heard of a church headquarters? You ever heard of a creed book? Okay. What are, what are these, where did the creed book come from? There were elected officials that went together from multiple churches and decided what, what they believed together, and they actually wrote a creed book for, for doing that. And we'll talk a, a little bit on Wednesday night about are there actually times when Christians should get together and talk about something. And we, we see one example in the scriptures where that happened. But I just wanted to illustrate those are things that happened. What about people that would carry the label Churches of Christ? Have there ever been any organizations created amongst uh, brethren in Churches of Christ that would have some different names than what we see in the Bible? And just shout them out. We'll talk about some of those. United Church of Christ. I used to belong to. Okay, so Gary knows a lot about that. And that we're, we're not going to talk about the practices that they have, but they were formed together to, to do some... That's, that's the name of another group. So, so tell, me, tell me some of the things that, instead of just the names of that, so what, what are the organizational things about how they did their work? Peggy? Okay, so what, how did that program get funded? Okay. So there's an organization that's set up, and there have been several names. Anybody remember the first name of the first organization that ended up with a major split? The, we're not going to do the whole history lesson here, but in the, in the Church of Christ? It was called a Society of Something. What was the society for? Missionary, missionary Society. And the Missionary Society was set up in order for churches to pool their money, and then this organization that wasn't even a church would select preachers to send out and preach the gospel. And so churches sent money. So big split about is that scriptural or not that happened today. There's actually another concept that's called sponsoring church. Where a church says, if you will send me your money and we'll pool it all together, we'll accomplish work that the Lord set us to do. And we'll oversee that work, but you send us your money in order to do that work and make that happen. So the question is, if you find yourself in a place and you're looking at becoming a member of a church, and you ask yourself, how do they do their work? Are all these things okay? How would you know? Because th there are literally hundreds of different variations for how people organize to get work done. So which ones are okay, and which ones can I be a part of, and which ones aren't? Today's lesson is really meant to help us not to answer all those questions specifically, 
because we don't have time to answer all those questions specifically, but to actually give us some thinking principles by which we can apply and ask ourselves, do I see this in the New Testament? And if I don't, can I drive it using my thinking for logical conclusions from what has I've been told, if I don't see an example, if I don't see a command, can I make a conclusion that this is okay or not before I allow myself to be joined into doing the work in that way? So, independent and autonomous is being free from a larger controlling unit. We've talked about some of the earth, the headquarters, the concepts that are there. The question we really have here is, are we just using these words independent and autonomous because we're Americans and we like independence, right? We got a declaration of independence, so we just want to be, we just don't want people telling us our business and we just want to be free, of, free from others. We don't want this church having another church telling us our business, so we just want to be free from it. Is that really what the motivation is? Or is there something in the scriptures that would say, no, that's how God wants you to do it. That's what we're going to explore here. And we'll take, um, we'll probably today with the time that's less, we'll, we'll get through talking about the oversight of the elders. And after that, we will, uh, on Wednesday night, talk about the other two subjects, which is how the treasury is used, and then a practical example to see when benevolence, which is one of the ways that cooperation happened in the New Testament, when that occurred, how exactly did it occur, and what can we learn about such cooperation where multiple churches are involved in relieving a need for that work. Judy made a good call to tell me to bring this so I don't uh, choke up uh, here this morning and all of this here. So, now we're in your lesson book. Into the introduction, hopefully you've prepared for looking at this. So we're gonna talk about some things the scriptures say here. So, to start off with, where does God want elders appointed? In talking about the oversight of elders, Let's talk about some things God says about that. Where does he want the elders appointed? One of you guys here look that one up? Okay, what, what's, the, what's the verse say? In the local church is right, so what, what does the verse say? In every church, great. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church for prayer and fasting, they go on to talk about this. Okay, so the circumstances of this is Paul is, I believe, on the second missionary journey. And they go back through, and every place where they started church, when they went through the first time, they come back and they appoint elders in that place. Kind of a cool fact, it's only two to three years from the time they've been there at first, so how long does it take to make an, an elder if you're dedicated at it? Well, there's some things that takes longer than that, but there were likely some mature men who had families that were all there, and they actually proved themselves to be qualified as elders. So in two years, they, they appointed elders. So they appointed elders... Where? Every church. Now, what about those churches that were a little bit weaker that maybe, wouldn't it have been better if they would have appointed an elder? Here's a really good guy over here. Let's, let's, let, let's let him look over this church over here just to make sure, because these guys over here aren't really. Is that, is that what the scripture indicates happened? That there was some assessment of who needed more and what, the elders were from within every church. I mean, it's, it's just that simple. So you have to ask yourself as a student, thinking about authority, is that authoritative? Is that, does that mean what it says? That example that we look at that? Now when I give you a verse that wasn't in your lesson, I'll put it up on the screen. So I just thought it's interesting. There's, this isn't the only time that we see this kind of talk about elders. Remember what Paul told Titus? 
Titus 1 verse 5. Here's why I left you in Crete. Okay, if you actually pulled your map up and looked at Crete, Crete's an island that pretty good size, but not that big. And what did he say that he wanted, that things were needed to be put in order? And what did he say there? It's underlined for you. That, he, that would help put that in order. Where should elders be appointed? Every town. So what do you think was in every town on Crete? There was a church. Appoint elders in every town just as I directed you. This was a common practice in the New Testament. That churches, after they had been started within some reasonable amount of time, had elders appointed. Qualified men. In looking at that. So that's where elders were appointed. Every church had its elders. There seemed to be no need to appoint something in addition to that. At least this point in church history, uh, as we're looking through as the church is being established there. Every church had elders. 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 3. Peter talks there, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this passage in some depth, but Peter talks there about his experience as an elder to other elders that are receiving that letter. And what does he say to them about where the elders are to oversee a work in that letter? Okay. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Now, if they were shepherding people in another church, would that be among you or not? Hard to be a member of two churches in order to, to, to be able to do that. And so when we, when we think about these passages here, the next question is, is do they limit the scope of an elder or not? Do they limit the scope of, of an elder or not? There's a lot of broad things that are talked about at elders that they have great scope to do in leading a congregation. But is there a limit on the scope? And what is the limit from this? An elder has authority where? Inside of the location where they have been appointed an elder. And is there, is there any, have we missed any scriptures where an elder has authority in another place other than the place that they're appointed? So what does that practically mean? Can our friends at Valley call us up and say, hey, we got, we got something that you need to do over there. Can we call them up and say that? Well, why would we even talk about that? Of course we wouldn't do that. Just recognize this is probably the very first step that was taken away from the organization of the church that was given in the New Testament toward what ultimately became the Catholic Church, was appointing a regional elder over all the elders in a region so that they could organize and band all those churches together. Jason, I saw your hand there. I would say it takes us back to our previous lesson. Silence is powerful. It, it explains what they always have uh, control over and where, where they are to focus, and then everything else beyond that, yep. we need to stay out of that because God is silent on it. And that's sometimes really hard because it seems like it might be a better way if we could get a bunch of churches together and pull all of our financial resources and take on a big project, right? Let's take on a big project. Let's make sure that everybody in this region is working together 
to evangelize the right way, and we've got just the right way to go do that and go make that happen. Those seem like really good ideas on their surface, don't they? Is that okay to work like that? Let, 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 I'm going to keep going here, and, uh, and, uh, and let's, I want to think a little bit about more about this. Because we talked about four verses that talk about every church has elders, and those elders oversee the people that they are among. And that's the limit of their scope. I want to think about some practical implications of that. So, actually, in 1 Peter, verses 1 through 5 is really all about this particular subject. Um, and general directives about how elders are to lead. And so when we read in the, in the first verse there, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker of the glory what is going to be revealed. Okay, real quick, we're going to stop there. Peter talks about three things he, he is in that verse. What three things is Peter in that verse? He's a fellow elder is the first thing he cites. What's the next thing he cites? A witness of the sufferings. What do you think that means? I'm an apostle. And what's the third one? He's a Christian. Excellent. Partaker of... He's, he's three things. I'm a fellow Christian, I'm an apostle, and, I, and I'm a fellow elder. If, there's ever, if there was ever an opportunity for Peter to have really been the first pope, the first guy who is telling everybody what to do from an not from a revelation of God's will standpoint, but simply from, no, I need to run your churches for you, and I need, to, I need you to, to, to bow to my will in actually deciding what you should do in your churches. This would have been a really good opportunity for Peter to say that. And yet, what did Peter say in the next verse that we just talked about? Oversee who? Those who were among you. Then he goes on in verse 4 to say something else that gives us a very clear picture of God's intended organizational structure about where do elders get their direction? Everybody's going to have to serve somebody, right? Where do elders get their direction? Verse 4. The chief shepherd. Who is? So the elders in our congregation, who do they report to? They report to God, the chief, to Christ, the chief shepherd. They're accountable for, our, am I doing things as a leader here that are authorized by the chief shepherd? I need to pay attention to what the chief... Now, obviously, who else, are, are we subject to the chief shepherd? We are, but there are some things the elders are subject to. And as a fun little thing here, what does Peter go on to say in verse 5? Who's subject to the elders? It's really the members. It says let the younger, but in this context, he's talking about there's the elders and then there's those who aren't elders who are under their leadership. And so, you know, if, if, you, if you're into organizational structure like I was back in the old corporate world, this is a really simple organization. The members, the elders, and the chief shepherd. And that's the structure that by this time in the New Testament, late, not at the end of the first century, but late in the first century, that was all that an apostle said was needed in order to get the work of the church done. Implications of the, of the elders. So let me stop for a second there. Anybody have a thought about that? Before we, we go on, I'm going to show you one more practical example, and then we'll talk about all those together. Gary.
Sean brought up the fact that he thought there may not have been elders recorded at that time. But in that chapter, we learn that God has provided everything they needed to do what needs to be done. So even though they may have been weak at that time, you know, the early history of the church, God was going to provide what they needed to put those elders in uh, there, there is no doubt there's a corollary. There's, we should be scripturally organized, but we shouldn't, we shouldn't appoint unqualified men. That's, that's, that's not scripturally organized when we appoint an unqualified man. It's qualified men to, to be able to do that. Mike? You... Just real quick, and I'm going to go back to verse 1 where Peter wanted to take charge, and Paul took charge in a couple of places. Well, he says he's a man. Mm-hmm. Paul says, I command. Mm-hmm. And Paul says, I command. It's coming from God. Peter says, I mm-hmm. I strongly urge and encourage you, is what he's saying. I strongly want you. So, didn't say I'm commanding you to do it. So, just from, from, from your history, where, where was Peter an elder? What arose out of Jerusalem that really was a problem for the first century church? This whole doctrine of circumcision. Whose watch did that happen on? So when when an elder says, I strongly urge you to pay attention to the flock that's among you. I mean, it's a big church. I'm not not throwing rocks at Peter here, you know, and look at this. But when an elder says, I strongly urge you to pay attention to those things, he knew that things can happen inside of a church. And if you don't pay attention to it, you don't have room to be looking out over here. You've got to be, you've got to be looking here. I need to move on because that was the, the bell here and, and go to the next point here. I want to get real quick and then we'll, we'll, we'll finish up for tonight and then take it on to Wednesday. Revelation 1 through 3. And Mitch, if I get in trouble, you taught this. You get me out of trouble here in, in, in doing this. But I find it interesting. Revelation was written about when? So right at the end of the first century. This is way after Jesus is gone. We've had 50, 60 years of, here's how, hey, we, if there was a, if all, the, all the apostles have given all of their, basically John is the last remaining apostle. We're about to the point where revelation is over with from God directly in looking at this. So let's observe how the church was operating there and make a couple of, of comments there. When, when Jesus told John to send this to the churches, how did he address those churches? Individually. He didn't say send it to the regional guy to, to make sure that they're assessing the churches right. He said, no, Jesus was the regional guy. He was the chief shepherd. He had been assessing the shepherds in those churches and those churches, and he gave some very critical remarks about that. And we know that. Okay, let's, let's play a game. Let's pretend that, there, that we should have elders in one area overseeing work from another. So let's pick some in, 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 in the region. Let's pick Sardis. What would, what do you think about, I mean, Sardis has a great reputation, Revelation 3.1. They had a great reputation. So how when men are going to decide to assign who's the elder, who, who's the eldership over all the churches here? Wouldn't you want one with a great reputation? How does Jesus assess them? You're dead. Hmm. We'd follow man's way. So organized together to get a bigger work and we'd have picked the, the, the church to actually run the work? How would they have done if they'd have picked Sardis? Not so good. Not so good. Well, let's pick a better church. Come on. Come on, Greg. That's the hard example. Let's pick, a, let's pick Ephesus, right? What's, what's Revelation say about Ephesus? Let's, don't forget the Acts 20 verse. 
Were they perfect? Were they pretty good? They just had one thing to say against them, but otherwise, very glowing report about what was going on in Ephesus. I mean, you got the whole book of Ephesians. You know, Paul stayed there for two or three years in doing that. What does Paul tell the Ephesian elders way back about 50 years earlier than this? He tells them to oversee their flock, and then what's he say about those elders? Some of you are going to lead them astray. Now listen, my point here in talking about this is not that God's commands and God's examples and scriptural authority has to always make sense to us. God is God, and he can ask us to do something that doesn't make sense to us at the time. Does it make any sense to you, however, that God would not put one group of people over another that they don't know? What would have happened in these cases of these churches? One bad eldership, one bad church could have led all the churches away at one time instead of each one individually working on things. And, and so when we have this notion as humans that there's a better way, and I'm just innovating to do the mission of God, and sometimes we're given freedom. We're, we talked about it. We have freedom to pick a, all the way from a donkey to a plane to go take the word of God to, to, to the world. We've got all that freedom. God didn't limit us in any way. In fact, he empowered us by just saying go to do that. There is a limit on how he wants things to be done as far as who's making decisions and who's looking after the flock in a local place. And that limit is the local elders who should be intimately aware of all the issues, all the things, all the needs, all the resources, and able to make decisions around those and make that, and make that work. And maybe it's just me, but to me that makes logical sense that one bad church would not take down the others. Because how many times have we seen, like the little example I gave you, one organization put by man decides on men's premises that we want to do something different than what God said, and it leads the whole body away. It happens. So that's, that's God's wisdom on the matter. So, kind of as a summary of this part of the lesson, and we're gonna, we'll jump into the treasury and talking about benevolence uh, on Wednesday night. Elders in every church overseeing a local flock and a local work. They are accountable. Our elders are accountable to the chief shepherd. I know they take that seriously. That should give us some comfort that they take that so seriously. They might say no to doing some things that others say yes to because they feel that that's not what the chief shepherd wants us to do or how he wants us to do that. If you can think between now and Wednesday night of other scriptures that show another organization structure that other than chief shepherd, elders, and the members in a local church reporting to those elders in that local church, let's talk about it. Um, I, don't, I haven't found it yet. It all seems to be a derivative of history of men looking to do that in a different place. And I'll leave you with this question. It's a rhetorical question. I think you know the answer. When we decide to change the scope of how God wants